Hello and welcome back to Equity, the TechCrunch podcast where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas and it is Monday, January 30th, 2023. How was everyone's first month of the year? It is so weird to look back and decide we're already one month in. And I will say it's been rockier at times, but also it's flown by, which hopefully I think 2023 at large, it's still going to be an amazing year. My word of the month was rejuvenation. And I definitely feel like I succeeded at that. But definitely let me know and we will jump into the rest of the show. All right, let's talk about markets and big tech. This week, I'm looking at Marianne's recent piece about Marketa, which is a publicly traded fintech and news broke this weekend that she covered, which is Marketa has officially agreed to acquire a two-year-old fintech startup called Power Finance for $223 million in cash. It's Marketa's first acquisition in its 13-year history. So some background, Marketa is valued at $3.7 billion in the public markets. It went public in 2021, aka a different era for fintechs and tech companies. And it's all about providing tools for companies, whether they're fintechs or not, to provide fintech services, whether that's cards, wallets, other payment mechanisms. Power Finance, its acquisition, is similar in that it provides embeddable fintech, as Marianne describes. It helps companies offer customized credit card programs, targeted promotions, personalized rewards. Maybe unlike Marketa, Power Finance is more working with mostly fintechs, and it's all about existing and integrating into mobile and web applications. This got my attention because for me, Marketa is one of those fintechs that does become, once you are in the tech world, a company that you have to pay attention to just because it's big, public, and important. And secondly, it reminded me of kind of the different acquisitions we see out there in the world these days. And I divided it up into three buckets. I feel like there's the acquisitions that are moonshots, meaning that A company has no business to acquire this company, work with this company, even look at this company. Think McDonald's acquiring the Washington Post. But for some reason, McDonald's was interested and it wants to maybe one day expand into editorial coverage alongside creating hamburgers. Something insane and you could never think of. The next bucket of acquisitions is competitive, meaning like the Washington Post and New York Times acquiring each other. Again, these are all very hypothetical situations. The idea is they kind of just join forces instead of compete with each other. And the final acquisition bucket is the enhancement, meaning that the Washington Post scoops up a local Washington, D.C. focused outlet that maybe spends a little extra time covering the tech scene, something like that, which is it makes a ton of sense, but it turns up the dials on an existing function within a company. All my examples aside, I do feel like the last bucket, the enhancement acquisition bucket, is what's happening with Marketa and Power Finance. Marketa already does a lot of this. They help provide these tools. But with Power Finance, this two-year-old upstart, it sounds like they're just trying to be a little bit better at what they do and maybe a little fancier too. The only other news I have in the markets and big tech section is actually fintech oriented as well. We learned last Thursday that Stripe is looking for an exit route in the next 12 months, according to sources, whether that is a direct listing or a tender offer and private round. There are so many options. I know a lot of people have hot takes on how soon that is, but let's just say technically an exit in 12 months could be in 2024. So don't write your 2023 is the year of IPO piece just yet. But with that, let's go to our big idea section. And don't worry, it's all about startups, our sweet spot. 
for our big idea section, we are throwing it back to my latest startups weekly column titled The Latecomer Advantage in Startups, which was really inspired by this idea that now that I'm around four years into covering the early stage startup and venture capital world, I am very aware of how much we, and I mean all of us, over-index on the new. As a reporter, I want to cover a company before anyone's ever heard of it. Companies want to build for the pain point you've never dreamed of disrupting, and VCs want to invest in an emerging trend before it becomes the trend that everyone else is investing in. But as much as the newcomer advantage is exciting and a good story. What about when you're not the newcomer? What if you are the latecomer? That's an idea I was thinking of actually when we were interviewing Sarah O oh last week on Equity Wednesday. She is the co-founder of T2 and the former human rights advisor at Twitter. And I kind of asked her, I was like, what is it like getting into the consumer social world in 2023? There are so many platforms out there, your former employer being the massive one that you are now trying to compete with. And I think she had a good argument for why being a latecomer is so advantageous. She said, quote, there's a lot that we know about gaps in trust and safety in the industry, whether it's the data sets we need or the models that need to be built or certain standards that need to exist for models, a whole laundry list of things that I wish I had in my previous roles that didn't exist. We're now at a place where we can have those conversations. Put differently, she was saying that some of these first social media platforms were being built, there weren't all these historical case studies or precedent or even controversies that now exist. And now T2, she's saying, can take notes from. And I mean, you know, in some ways, it's obvious, right? When you're experienced, it helps and that will help you build a company. But there is such a fine line between being experienced, being late, being new and being inexperienced. So to sum up, I think it's a little bit more complicated than it's bad to be late or it's good to be new. Maybe the perfect combination and the big idea I'm thinking about this year really is, is the perfect world having like the larger comprehension and there being builders in your space, but then also having the nimbleness of a startup? Yes, easier said than done. Yes, it takes more than just comprehension and awareness and intelligence to succeed in a startup. But just some food for thought as we enter this week, when you are reading stories or talking to startups or building your own, don't just revisit the current trends. Look at some old ones. See how the current downturn or environment in your world may be refreshing some of those ideas. Speaking of startups, today we're going to talk about space and crypto, so maybe out of some of our comfort zones, but exciting nonetheless. First up, I want to talk about Atomos, and I have to put it exactly how Haya from our team put it in his lead about the story, which was, quote, you may not have known that space needs tugboats, but now you do, end quote. It was as simple as that. Atomos Space just closed a $16.2 million Series A investment to help space get Tugboats is building a series of orbital transfer vehicles called OTVs that make it possible to reposition satellites in space. And I mean, there's so many parts about this that are interesting. Vanessa Clark, the CEO and co-founder of Atomos Space, has this idea that by making it possible to move flying objects into different orbits could make operating a spacecraft much, much cheaper. And down the road, this company's existence hopes that one day it could half the launch costs of satellite operators. I mean, it's something that literally is a moonshot. I know I talk about that so much. Like, I think I've already said that word seven times in this episode. But I think Vanessa Clark is building something that very much exemplifies what it looks like to disrupt something that's expensive and limited, do something difficult, but also have this big impact on 
global communications, the future of our internet, Earth observation. I mean, in the piece, she explains it makes sense both economically and from a scientific perspective. But Haya points out in his piece that there is still a lot to prove, even though I am super excited about it. First up, this is the company's third round of VC funding, and it has built and tested its docking and propulsion systems on the ground. But now comes the key moment, which is it needs to fly its first vehicle. It needs to have a self-driving satellite that can detect and navigate clients and grab onto things and be optimized. I mean, there's so much more for it to prove. But for now, I'm going to sit in my excitement and be happy that we're seeing companies like these still getting funded from VCs. So shout out to both sides. Space aside, let's talk about crypto, which is a little more down to earth these days, thanks to FTX, crypto. What do I need to tell you all? I think we all know exactly why crypto is still in a winter. But I have exciting news and a data bright spot to end the show on this week from Dominic Midori Davis. And she reports that VC funding to Black Web3 founders popped last year, bucking trends. But let's talk about the specific data behind these ideas. Crunchbase data shows that U.S. Black Web3 founders raised $60 million out of the $11.9 billion total given to all U.S. Web3 startups in 2022, which is, yes, a small fraction of the total, but it is substantially higher than the $16 million such founders received in 2021. So 2022 was 60 $60 million, and 2021 was $16.16 million. A huge difference year over year and one that now that we're in this moment of shock and groundedness, I'm happy to see that cohort have bigger capitalization to jump off because one idea we have been talking about on the podcast a ton is how our company's going to extend their runway. And if they have raised a lot in the year prior, they're set a little bit better to navigate 2023. So I'm going to keep that optimistic energy and look into that more. <laughs> Actually, that last piece is a perfect segue into a discount code I have for my favorite people, which is use code equity for 50% off annual passes of TechCrunch Plus. We have a ton of our best work living behind the paywall, and I really enjoy reading some of the stuff we put there. So I definitely recommend it. As always, I am Natasha Mascarenas. You can follow me on Twitter at nmask underscore, but I am posting more on Instagram these days. So you can catch me there at Natasha the Reporter. You can also follow at EquityPod on Twitter. And with that, we will chat soon. I hope you have an amazing end to the month and let's start next month strong. Equity Mondays are hosted by myself, senior TechCrunch reporter Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Picovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week.